Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I remember the day my cousin called me to come help pack out a buck he had killed at our deer camp, deep in the woods about five miles from the trailhead. I loaded up my Polaris and made my way to the trailhead, where I saw two men donning their packs and preparing to head in. I exchanged greetings and quickly made my way to camp. After successfully packing out the meat, we made our way back to the trailhead, where we noticed one of the men, the younger one, 
sitting alone on his tailgate. He approached us and struck up a conversation about the hunt, but then he asked us a strange question. He asked if we had seen an older man on our way back, explaining that his father had dementia and he had lost sight of him while hiking. I couldn't help but wonder why the son would let his father out of his sight in the first place. Nevertheless, we had a long drive ahead of us and we were physically exhausted, so we offered to contact someone when we got cell service. The man declined and we headed home. Later that night at 10 p.m., an alert from one of our cell cameras came through. It was a picture of the missing older man, nowhere near the area where the son claimed to have lost sight of him. I immediately called the sheriff's office and was put in contact with the search and rescue team leader. They asked if I could come back up and hike in with them to the location of the camera. I felt terrible for not helping earlier, but I knew I had to do something. I loaded back up and headed back to the trailhead. It was freezing cold, but the search and rescue team had a helicopter with a thermal camera and about 20 people on the ground searching for the missing man. I was about two miles from the trailhead when I ran into an officer with the son and the old man. They had just found him because he had followed a creek down and ended up near the forest road. He had traveled about 18 miles and had only a phone with him, which he had put on airplane mode to save battery. It was a long day, but thankfully the man was found and reunited with his family. I couldn't help but feel guilty for not helping earlier, but I was glad I could help in some way. It's a reminder to always be vigilant and lend a helping hand when needed. My friend and I went to a holiday party about a year back, and we had an early morning meeting for a volunteer event the following day. It was around 12 1 a.m. when we decided to leave the party, but my friend realized that she forgot to buy drinks for the meeting in the morning. Not wanting her to have to wake up earlier than she had to, I offered to drive her to a nearby grocery store that happened to be open late. On the way there, we realized that it was super quiet and there wasn't any other cars around, which is pretty typical if it would have been a weekday. But it was a Saturday and usually Saturdays are busy until 3 a.m. in our city. Nonetheless, we drove on and reached the store. As we drove in, we saw a lady literally appear seemingly out of nowhere, dancing around in a very free-looking way. I don't really know how to describe her outfit other than almost pirate-like. There were pieces of cloth hanging off of her outfit. Her face was pale white with dark, but neat eye makeup, and her hair looked like it might have been really big dreadlocks with more cloth, or maybe even feathers tied into it. We quickly pulled into a far parking spot, well away from her, and practically sprinted into the store, and when we looked back, she was gone. Not sure if this matters, but I figured I would include the ambience of the store as well in case this is a cross-dimensional experience. The lights were dim with some flickering, and when we first walked in, there was a couple, about middle-aged, and I think the woman was pregnant if I remember correctly, whispering to, seemingly, the only employee. When they spotted us, they stopped talking and watched us walk down the juice aisle. Needless to say, my friend said she changed her mind and wanted to leave. When we first stepped out, we both happened to look to our left and saw the woman from earlier, standing still at the opposite end of the parking lot. We immediately booked it to my car, got in, and locked the doors. But when I tried to start it, it wouldn't. 
I had just bought the car a couple of weeks prior from a certified dealership, and the car never had, and still never has to this day, given me issues. Luckily, after a few turns of the key, my car started and we left. In my rearview mirror, the entity danced towards my car again, but it was almost as though she was sprinting because she was moving so quick towards us. Once we made it back over the hill towards our homes, it was as though every single car that should have been on the other side of the hill appeared and the town was as busy as usual. I still have no idea who what we saw, but I know very well that there was no way that what we experienced was natural off this world. If anyone has opinions on what creature or entity we saw that night, please share. As much as I'm still scared of that incident, I am anxious to know what we experienced. While camping and hiking in the Idaho wilderness area in 1972, I luckily had a handgun, and that may have been the only thing that saved me throughout the whole ordeal. I had the uncanny sense that I was being watched and being followed always trust your inner voice. I got a good look at him, and he was nasty and very unkempt man just like Deliverance, and no it was not Bigfoot if fired off a couple of shots just to let the creep know I was armed. The nonsense abruptly stopped. I later reported the incident to a forest ranger, and he said that they had heard about this crazy guy stalking other hikers. Something woke me up at 4.10 a.m. while I was in the sleeper of my rig. I know the date perfectly because it was my birthday. I got out of my truck and this thing let out a high-pitched whooping yell that echoed throughout the forest. I was standing there and was trying to figure out what it was, saying to myself that's not a cougar and not an elk nor an owl or a coyote or a wolf. When it dawned on me on what it could be it scared the bajesses out of me. It's the same as the sound on your Klamath Screams audio and what I heard on the Discovery Chanel. I again heard the same sound in Klamath Kali just south of the Trees of Mystery where they have the Paul Bunyan and Babe statues. We were staying in some cabins there. Both my son and I heard it around 10 a.m. while we were hiking. It was way off in the distance and dogs started barking right after we heard it. It screamed twice. This time I thought it was kind of cool to hear it again and my son thought likewise because I had him listen the recording on the internet. When I was younger, we were at my older brother's birthday party at one of our state parks. Where we were at, there is a little R with some benches. Beside it, there was a decent-sized playground. Off to the side, there is a trail that leads down to the lake. This is where my sighting happened. I walked away from everybody to the start of the trail. I was maybe a 100 yards away from everyone. I made it down the trail about 50 feet, and I see a something coming barrowing up the hill. At first I, though it was a bear running up the hill, because it was on all fours. It got on to the middle of the trail and stood up up on two legs. I thought maybe a bear because they are known to stand up on two legs. I look up at the face and that's when I realized it was not a bear. It was there for maybe 10 seconds before it turned around and ran down the hill. That's is the only time I have ever seen one and am not sure if I want to see another. This story happened a few months ago. At that time, I had moved out of my house for a professional reason, but I had to wait a couple of months before moving into my next house. 
To spend this time span, and since I can work from anywhere, I rented my very close friend Amy's holiday family house, which is otherwise empty, located in a village I grew up in the countryside. I know this family and their house very well since I am a small child. The house is rather large, it has two floors and five bedrooms. It is located in a quiet, or even remote, area of the village, only surrounded by forest and other empty holiday houses. While planning this, I was aware this setting could be scary being a single 27 female, but I hate to restrain myself in life because of unjustified fears, so I instead took a few measures to feel more safe. Before moving in, I had planned to go on a complete checkup of all the doors and windows. Once done, I would look into every room, under every bed, and inside all the wardrobes. This way, I could be certain that the house was perfectly empty at that moment, and would stay so, as I will be very careful with closing doors, and I knew there were no spare keys, so that, when at night I would be scared, I could reason with myself and know that it is only in my head. I was accompanied by my mother to proceed to the checkup, as she lives close by. We faced a problem rather quickly while verifying doors and windows. Two glass doors from the patio were malfunctioning, and one could just slide them open. The layout of the two doors was the following. One was looking towards the garden, the second one was between the patio and the rest of the house. This meant someone could not only get inside the patio from outside, but also in the rest of the house. After this discovery, I called my friend Amy, and we agreed I would find a locksmith. Amy's family's financial situation isn't at its peak, so depending on the price, either only the door leading to the garden, either both doors would get fixed. But the price was reasonable, thus the locksmith lady could change both locks. The patio was then perfectly sealed. However, according to her, the glass door leading to the garden was weak and one could easily open it if motivated. But since the glass door between the patio and the rest of the house was safe, I did not mind that remark. One could have as much fun as they pleased in that patio as long as I was safe in my house. After that and a successful second checkup, I was happy to move in. The first days were a bit scary, but since I was careful with doors and the house's surroundings were so peaceful and lovely, it quickly became bliss to live there. I was heating myself with the fireplace, eating good food, breathing fresh air. I felt very free and happy. Only I had to notice a small odd detail in the very first day. A third glass door was not locking anymore. I got very surprised since I checked so carefully every single door during my checkup. This third door was right next to the one I got repaired, between the patio and the house. So this meant that the patio was not perfectly sealed anymore. But fine, I thought, all the doors leading to the outside were still locked, so no need to worry. I quickly moved on since I felt so happy there. I did not want any useless fear to bother me. I came to the conclusion I must have missed it, and I was a bit ashamed that I got Amy's family to spend money on two locks, whereas it should have been three because of my carelessness. After two wonderful months living a dream, mostly on my own, since all my childhood friends moved out from the village, a friend came to visit me. We spent some time outside, and we had a drink at my place before I drove him back to his village, about an hour away. While we were leaving my house, he even emphasized how meticulous I was with closing all the shutters behind ourselves. I told him it was key for me to feel so good in there. 
I was back home at around 10 p.m. I entered my perfectly sealed house and locked the door behind myself. While turning the key out of the blue, sudden and intense goosebumps ran all over my scalp. I had never experienced such a feeling, and I was not even aware that the human body could get goosebumps onto the scalp. With that came a very instinctive feeling of danger and being on my guard. I felt all of this so intensely that I was not able to not ignore it. Yet I knew that my house was kept perfectly closed. So I stayed cautious, but I walked through the entrance and came into the kitchen. Here on the floor was laying a rectangular plastic bag. It was small and blue on the orange floor. I was surprised I recognized it being a plastic bag to be filled with water to make ice cubes. It had nothing to do here. I had already seen these bags earlier, once I was looking for freezer bags to put my food, and I mistook them. I knew they were stored in a drawer at the very other side of the kitchen, and I knew we did not use them, nor anything from that drawer with my friend earlier. This uncanny discovery confirmed my gut feeling, and I began to feel very uneasy. I sent a picture to my friend asking if he had touched or used these, he said. No, keep me in touch. I grabbed a knife and I started walking in the living room. Usually, whenever I would feel afraid in this house, I would go on a little checkup tour in every room to reassure myself. That is what I had in mind at that moment. But this gut feeling was literally forbidding my body to do so. Instead, it walked me out of the house. I drove to my mother's place and slept there. A few days after, during a sunny afternoon, my mother and I came back and did a checkup thoroughly. Nothing was missing, nor broken, and no one was there. Everything stayed exactly as I had left it. With such evidence, I came to the conclusion it must have been my friend who, by accident, took those bags and forgot about it. Then they must have fallen on the floor while I opened the door, or something like that. I came back in and kept living a dream in this beautiful place for another month after that. Then, something else happened. For a few days, I had been hearing unusual noises which began to scare me, so I decided it was time for a checkup. It was around 9 p.m. I began going in every room, looking under every bed. Downstairs, all clear. I walked upstairs, opened the first bedroom, and surprise, the light was on. This caused me a small flinch. I never go to these rooms upstairs, and they remain closed all the time. Nevertheless, I walked towards the wardrobe, but before opening it, I get a second flinch as an unknown object is now laying on top of the furniture. I open nobody I close, and I look at the object. It is an elongated black fabric sheath, rather big, with a hook to carry it on a belt. A terrifying idea crosses my mind that it may be a knife sheath, but I brush it off, as I don't need my imagination to get crazy in such a situation. I finished my checkup, but despite nobody being found, I could not help but feeling weird about the sheath and the light. I went to sleep at my mother's place that night too. The day after, I checked with my friend Amy. No family member came into the house while I was away, nor they recognized this object as belonging to any of them. I dropped it at the police station and according to them, it is likely a hunting knife sheath indeed. Then I started thinking again at this patio's third door. It had been coming in my mind for some weeks but I had been dismissing the idea to avoid unnecessary fear. Reflecting back at my thorough entrance checkup, it is very unlikely that I would have missed a door. 
As well, the locksmith had changed the lock of the door right next to this one, and even stared at it to see how a well-functioning lock looked like. With Amy, we had first imagined that an old airman of tenant could have made a copy of the keys and the locks had to be changed. But more and more I was sure the person was coming in the house from the patio. Another locksmith came and looked at the third door's lock, she said. Ah, yes, indeed. The lock part screwed on the door frame, where the lock embeds itself, had been screwed off. She also checked the door leading to the garden her colleague had pointed out as easy to open. She said, Ah, yes, that's obvious. I left the house for good after that. I believe a person had their little habits in this house, using the way I shut when I arrived, and they made sure to be able to reach inside the place despite my changes. Thinking that all this time I was living my life peacefully, reasoning with myself not to be scared, that the place was safe and locked, it actually was not. I was tree planting near Smithers, British Columbia, about an hour and a half into the mountains on dirt roads. I tried my best to just forget this incident even occurred, as I simple could not find a way to rationalize what happened. I don't care who believes me or not by the way, but what happened is this. It was almost midnight and I was trying to sleep in my tent. My tent was near a bunch of standing dead trees that would creak when the wind picked up. A very loud and distinct sound. Now on this particular night it was dead silent and still. I started to hear sticks cracking and steps being taken that slowly got closer over the course of about 15 minutes. It was loud enough I was certain there was a bear approaching my tent. It got so close that it had to be no further than 15 feet from my tent, cracking sticks and padding around the forest floor. I decided to yell out very loudly. Silence. I was answered with nothing but deafening silence. No sound of the creature fleeing or doing anything at all. I sat in silence to scared to move, trying to rationalize to no conclusion. About 20 minutes of dead silence later, I heard the eeriest, unnatural, and unexplainable noise. It was the exact same timbre and volume and just basically the same sound as the trees outside creaking. But instead of being a regular creak, it began and then held the exact same note of creak for a full five seconds or even longer. It was like an unnatural drone that was obviously not a tree creaking. There was not a hint of wind or any other trees creaking as per usual. I got barely any sleep and the next day was tough, and I just had to forget about it. I didn't ever make the connection that skinwalkers are known to imitate sounds like that until a few weeks ago. This happened in July 2022. If anyone has had a similar experience or has any ideas of what this could have been, I'd love to hear. Let me begin by saying that I am currently on mobile, and this may or may not end up in a confusing format. Another important thing I should add is that my parents still, to this day, do not know about the events that are about to unfold and only three people know the very brief summary of this story. Congratulations on being the first to know. At the beginning of my fifth grade year, I was 10 years old. I lived in the north suburbs of a major city in the US, and it was a generally peaceful and quiet town. Not much happened in my neighborhood and there were plenty of kids, but I had always been a bit of a paranoid kid and my parents wanted to keep me on a short leash. 
That being said, I always had a cell phone and a walkie-talkie on me at all times. Cell phone to help contact anyone by any means, and a walkie-talkie to contact my parents very, very quickly. Early September, circa 27, I was always riding my bike through my neighborhood and on a bike path that wound around a forest and through a park near my house. Off of this path, there was a cute little creek that, on this particular day, I decided to stop and watch. I threw some rocks in and listened to the noise it made and watched the wildlife. It hadn't been more than ten minutes when a middle-aged Mexican man had rode up on his bike and attempted to strike up a conversation with me. Hey, what are you up to? He asked in a very thick accent. I was a very awkward and shy little thing. I was always very cautious of interaction, and I was far too naive to understand what was going on at this point. I thought that maybe this guy was a ranger and I was about to get in trouble for disturbing the wildlife, so I very awkwardly responded, Oh, uh, just throwing rocks in. I love watching the ripples. And he nodded his head and we stood in silence for about a minute. Now the alarms in my head start going off. If he was a ranger or any authority figure, a head nod shouldn't have been a response or something along those lines. He motioned his hand in the direction of the forest, began to mount his bike, and in his thick accent said, follow me. I wasn't dumb and my heart was pounding. I quickly pulled out my cell phone and pretended to read a text from my parents and said that I had to go home. He insisted I go with him and tried to prevent me from leaving, but I pedaled away down the bike path. As stated before, I was no dummy. Knowing fairly well, I knew this creep could easily follow me home. I didn't go to my house. This particular path ran east and west and ended about one block east and was right between two houses. The very last house on this path on the north side belonged to my best friend at the time, Damaris. I rode the path to her house and hurriedly knocked on her door. I didn't have the heart to tell her what was going on, so I told her I was out and just wanted to play. She was letting me inside when I looked back out and noticed the same man in a truck cruise by, smiling and waving. It shook me up quite a bit, but I figured that, since this wasn't my house, he'd never see me again. Damaris' house had a glass storm door on the outside of the actual door, so they'd leave the actual door open, but leave the storm door shut so no one could get in, but we could still see out. Imagine our surprise when, not even an hour later, the same man with the same truck cruised by slowly again, but this time with a buddy, another middle-aged Mexican man. They both smiled, but the original man was pointing me out to his buddy. I was really panicking at this point, but kept my cool as to not freak out Damaris and her family. That night, I had stayed over at her house past dark, so my parents would have no choice but drive to pick me up instead of ride home alone. Things returned to normal for about a week. I hadn't seen that man or that truck at all, and I don't think he ever did see my real house. But when school started the next Monday, things got weird. I was at my bus stop before anyone else because I was a punctual little shit. There it was. The same truck came rolling by. The same tan-colored, rusty, ugly pickup truck with the same man. I began to panic, but I was completely unsure of what to do. I just kind of paced and back further and further away from that side of the street. As he neared the stop sign, I could tell he wasn't paying attention to me. 
I don't know if he was ignoring me or just didn't recognize me or what, but he wasn't paying attention to me. The windows in his truck were down and I could smell the inside. It was disgusting. There are no words to describe the putrid odor that leaked through those windows and spilled for 20 yards to my nostrils. I noticed that inside he was doing something strange with his hands. It was a strange juggling motion with his hand and there was a very strange white liquid being sprayed around in the front seat. But he ignored me and that's all that mattered to me at that point. I was safe and that's how things carried on for about two months after that incident. Near the end of this man's strange daily drive by Rich. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I remember saying something vague to a teacher about it, and I had been asked a few questions and then left alone about it. The next week, as suddenly as it had began, the drive-bys stopped. I was absolutely relieved and happy that I didn't have to see this man ever again. But there was something uneasy about the way everything seemed to stop. It wasn't until I was about 14 or 15 that I had learned what it was that he was doing in his car every morning. He had been masturbating every time he had passed me. I don't know whatever became of that man, nor do I care. I am lead to believe that he was found out and locked up in jail for the rest of his life, and I certainly do hope that is the case. Whatever it is that happened to him, I hope it was awful. It was a bright summer day when my extended family, and I decided to go hiking on a trail at the breaks in Virginia. We had planned this trip for weeks, excited about spending some quality time together and reconnecting with nature. The weather was perfect and spirits were high as we embarked on our adventure. As we hiked deeper into the woods, we chatted and laughed, enjoying each other's company. The trail was beautiful, with lush greenery surrounding us and the sound of birdsong filling the air. It felt like we were miles away from the hustle and bustle of everyday life. After hiking for a couple of hours, we came across a large rock that appeared to be the site of some sort of ritual. The scene was eerie, with strange symbols and what looked like remnants of candles scattered around. I'm not a religious person, but even I couldn't shake the feeling that there was something deeply unsettling about the place. It reminded me of the Blair Witch Project, and I couldn't help but feel a shiver run down my spine. Feeling unnerved, we decided to abandon our hike and head back to the road as quickly as possible. We hurried along the trail, 
eager to put the unsettling scene behind us. It was then that my mom's cousin's husband revealed that he had a GPS satellite tracker on him, which we could have used an hour before to avoid getting lost. As we followed the GPS, we realized that we had somehow managed to hike all the way to the Virginia-Kentucky state border. The realization was both amusing and alarming, as we could have been lost in the woods for much longer if not for the GPS. When we finally made it back to the road, we came across a park ranger who was patrolling the area. We shared our experience with him, describing the strange ritual site we had found. The ranger listened carefully, his expression growing increasingly concerned. I've heard rumors about this sort of thing happening in the area, he told us, but I've never come across it myself. It's important that you reported it, so we can keep an eye out for any suspicious activity. We thanked the ranger for his help and made our way back to our cars, relieved to have made it out of the woods unscathed. As we drove away, I couldn't help but feel grateful for the presence of the park ranger and the GPS satellite tracker that had guided us to safety. That day, our family hike took an unexpected turn, but it brought us closer together as we faced the unknown. The experience taught us the importance of being prepared for anything and the value of looking out for one another. And while the memory of the eerie ritual site still sends shivers down my spine, I'll always remember the adventure we shared and the bond it forged between us. It was a warm summer day, and I had decided to spend it hiking at Gales Creek Park, west of Banks, Oregon. The park was known for its beautiful scenery and challenging two-and-a-half-mile trail. As I set off on my adventure, I couldn't help but feel excited about exploring the lush green surroundings. About an hour into my hike, I came across a woman and her daughter who seemed to be intently examining something on the ground. Intrigued, I approached them and introduced myself. The woman, Hannah Horvath, explained that they had found some strange hair near the trail. She showed me the whitish hair, which could have belonged to a sheep or a dog, but there was something odd about it. Hannah told me that she and her daughter had been out hiking the trail several times before and had encountered some unusual phenomena. They had heard strange noises, found possible Bigfoot tracks, and even saw a large dropping of 14-inch paddy nearby. They had also noticed a tree about eight inches thick that was broken off five feet above the ground. As we continued discussing their findings, park ranger Ralph approached us, curious about our conversation. We filled him in on the details, and he listened intently, nodding thoughtfully. He revealed that there had been other reports of strange occurrences in the park, and he was investigating them. Ralph examined the hair Hannah had found and told us that it would be sent for analysis to determine its origin. He also took a look at the photos of the possible Bigfoot tracks and the broken tree. Though he remained skeptical, he acknowledged that the evidence was intriguing. With Ranger Ralph's encouragement, Hannah, her daughter, and I continued our hike together, keeping our eyes and ears open for any further clues. As we walked, we shared stories of other strange encounters and speculated on the possibility of a Bigfoot living in the park. By the end of our hike, we hadn't found any more evidence, but we had formed a bond over our shared experience. We exchanged contact information and promised to keep each other updated on any future findings. A few weeks later, Hannah called to let me know that the hair analysis had come back inconclusive. 
The mystery of the strange hair and other oddities in Gales Creek Park remained unsolved, but the experience had sparked a fascination in us all. Even park ranger Ralph admitted that he couldn't entirely dismiss the possibility of something extraordinary living in the park. The experience at Gales Creek Park left me with a sense of wonder and curiosity about the world around me. Sometimes the unexplained can lead to the most unforgettable adventures and the most unlikely friendships. It was December 2017. I was living in suburban Maryland, just northeast of Washington, D.C. I woke up at 1.30 a.m. to the sound of a break-in. I grabbed a handgun from my bedside drawer and went to the bedroom door to confront the intruder, but was suddenly rendered unconscious as I touched the doorknob. I woke up naked and cold in a pill-shaped glass container. The lid was open, so I was able to stumble out onto the floor around the container. I felt drugged and could barely walk, but I thought I had been kidnapped by someone so I was urgently trying to find an escape route. The room I was in was made of composite materials, namely concrete and plastic with fluorescent lights. I limped into a hallway that was tunnel-shaped and followed a blue glow coming from down the hall. As I walked, I came out of the tunnel and entered a large cylindrical room lined with vehicles on hooks along the walls. They were human vehicles, mostly Japanese and German cars motorcycles, but some vehicles were clearly from the American military. In the center of the room was what looked like a metal tree that was six stories tall with glowing blue leaves. But upon closer inspection, this tree was a large metal cylinder, and the leaves were capsules much like the one I'd woken up in, except these still had people inside them and were radiating a neon blue glow. As I drew my eyes further up the tree, I noticed some blue wires moving around in the dark area toward the ceiling. These clumps of wires suddenly floated down toward me and turned to reveal that they had faces in them, each with two large dark eyes and narrow slits for noses and mouths. It's hard to describe, and I hate to put it this way, but think of a stereotypical gray alien face and picture it floating in a tangled up mess of tentacles. There were three of them, one smiling, two frowning. There was an exchange of words and charades between myself and the smiling one for roughly ten minutes, but I was so exhausted, and they were so advanced that there was no pertinent information shared between us. I passed out, then woke up again face down in a puddle of my own drool on a glass floor. I was too tired to move, so I tilted my head up just enough to take a look around. The room was circular, about 150 square feet in size, and a bright sterile white color. One of the tentacle creatures was in the room, but was busy facing away and operating a set of strange controls with no buttons or levers. I laid my head back down but saw through the glass floor that we had risen out of a deep black hole that was dug into a grassy plain. A rock-shaped lid closed around the hole to cover it as we flew further up. This is when I realized I was in a spacecraft, and we had actually been in a silo of some sort that's here on Earth somewhere. I passed out and was awoken by the sensation of being dropped back first onto my bed with a hard thud. I checked my phone and it reads 6.30 a.m. The whole trip had been exactly five hours. I'm not going into any further detail, but I found an object had been inserted and cauterized into my right leg and I had a run-in with some men in black suits within four days of the abduction. I've never believed in abductions or UFOs or men in black or any of that, 
but now I've got no choice. I'm annoyed that there's no official place to get legitimate information or help on this subject since the experience was traumatic and any kind of clarity would help fix that. I have always been passionate about the study of reptiles and amphibians. As a scientist based in Atlanta, Georgia, I jumped at the chance to visit the Yellowstone National Forest for a research project. My goal was to study the local snake populations, and I was excited to be out in the wilderness, doing what I loved. One morning, I set out on a solo hike deep into the forest to observe and document my findings. The sun filtered through the trees, casting dappled shadows on the forest floor. The quiet serenity of nature surrounded me, and I was completely engrossed in my work. As I turned a corner on the trail, I noticed a park ranger named Alan standing a short distance away. He seemed to be observing something intently. Curious, I approached him and asked what had caught his attention. Alan whispered, I think there's a Bigfoot nearby. I've been following some unusual tracks and sounds for the past hour. I raised my eyebrows in skepticism, but the seriousness in his eyes told me that he truly believed what he was saying. Intrigued, I decided to join him in his search for the elusive creature. We followed the tracks and sounds deeper into the forest, our senses heightened. After a while, we came across a small clearing, and that's when we saw it. A massive, hairy creature stood at the edge of the clearing, seemingly unaware of our presence. It had a distinctly humanoid appearance, but its size and features were unlike anything I had ever seen. As we watched in awe, the creature suddenly turned and looked directly at us. Its eyes were wide with fear, and it let out a low, mournful cry. It was clear that it was more frightened of us than we were of it. Alan whispered to me, Stay calm and don't make any sudden movements. We don't want to scare it off or provoke it. Taking his advice, I remained still and tried to project a sense of calm. The creature continued to watch us warily, its chest heaving with heavy breaths. After what felt like an eternity, it slowly backed away into the forest, disappearing from sight. As we stood in the clearing, our hearts pounding from the adrenaline, Alan and I couldn't believe what we had just witnessed. We were both stunned by the encounter, and our minds raced with questions about the creature's existence and its place in the natural world. In the following days, we shared our story with other researchers and park officials, Many were skeptical, but some shared their own stories of strange encounters and unexplained phenomena within the Yellowstone National Forest. Though the encounter was brief, it left a lasting impression on me. I returned to Atlanta with a newfound sense of wonder and curiosity about the mysteries that still exist in our world. And as for Park Ranger Allen, he continued his work in Yellowstone, always keeping an eye out for the elusive and mysterious Bigfoot that he knew was out there hiding in the shadows of the forest. It was a beautiful summer day, and my cousin Jay and I were driving my BMW through the forest near Lava Butt. We hadn't seen each other in a while since he lived in another town, so we decided to get out of the city for a bit, have a few beers, and enjoy the great outdoors. We drove to a spot the locals called The Foundation, a concrete fire pit on the south side of Green Butt. After hanging out there for a while, we decided to drive around to the other side of the butt to watch the sunset across the lava flow. 
The road was narrow, sandy and winding, with tall manzanita brush on both sides. We went as far as we could in the car until the road turned into nothing more than a trail. I found a place to turn around and back the car as far down as it would go before parking. Jay and I decided to walk down the trail a bit to get a better view of the mountains and lava flow. We were only about five minutes into the hike when I started hearing things. Now, I should mention that I grew up in central Oregon and have spent a lot of time in the woods alone hiking, hunting, and logging for five years. I am not easily spooked, nor am I paranoid. As we continued walking, the sounds became more distinct, and I could tell that Jay was starting to notice them too. We exchanged glances, unsure of what was causing the noises. That's when we saw Park Ranger Colin approaching us on the trail. Hey folks, Colin greeted us with a friendly wave. How are you enjoying your hike? We told him about the sounds we were hearing, and he listened intently, nodding as we spoke. I've heard similar reports from other hikers lately, he admitted. Some believe it could be wildlife, while others think it might be something more mysterious. As we continued talking, Colin shared stories of strange occurrences in the area, from unexplained footprints to odd noises in the night. Although he didn't seem overly concerned, he suggested that we stick together for the remainder of our hike, just in case. As the sun began to set, we reached an open area that provided a breathtaking view of the mountains and lava flow. We stood there, taking in the beauty of the landscape as the sky turned brilliant shades of orange and red. After the sun had disappeared below the horizon, we made our way back to the car under the watchful eye of Park Ranger Colin. The mysterious sound seemed to have stopped, and we felt a sense of relief as we reached the car. Before saying goodbye, Colin advised us to be cautious and report any unusual experiences to the park rangers in the future. We thanked him for his help and reassurance, and then Jay and I headed back home. Though the strange sounds in the forest remain unexplained, the memory of that day serves as a reminder of the beauty and mystery that can be found in nature. And to this day, whenever I venture into the woods, I can't help but think of park ranger Colin and the eerie sounds we heard near Lava Butt. I am White Hawk, a young tribesman living in a lush, untouched forest, where my people thrive in harmony with nature. We have always respected the balance of the land, taking only what we need and giving back to the earth in return. However, a sinister force has disturbed the peace we have known for so long. Recently, our skilled hunters have begun to mysteriously vanish during their expeditions, leaving our tribe in fear and confusion. The disappearances have caused a great deal of unrest among our people, and as our food supply dwindles, we grow desperate for answers. One night, our spiritual leader had a vision that revealed the presence of an unknown predator stalking the woods. With my tribe's survival at stake, I knew I had to take action. I decided to volunteer to confront this predator and save my people. On my journey, I ventured deeper into the forest than any of our people had ever gone before. As I followed the trail of the missing hunters, I discovered that the predator was not an ordinary beast, but a shape-shifting creature called a skinwalker, born of an ancient curse that had been awakened. This malevolent being was responsible for the disappearance of our hunters and the chaos that had engulfed our once peaceful community. Determined to defeat the creature and restore balance to the forest, 
I sought the guidance of a wise elder who lived at the edge of our territory. She shared with me the story of the Skinwalker and gave me a mystical artifact imbued with the power to protect me from its dark influence. She also taught me to harness my own spiritual power, which would be essential in my battle against the Skinwalker. Armed with this newfound knowledge and the powerful artifact, I set out to confront the creature. The Skinwalker was a formidable foe, able to change its form at will and prey upon the fears of its victims. However, with the help of the artifact and my own spiritual strength, I was able to resist its attempts to manipulate me and weaken its hold on the forest. The battle was long and arduous, but in the end, I emerged victorious. I had defeated the Skinwalker, lifting the ancient curse and restoring balance to the forest. With the predator vanquished, our hunters were able to safely venture into the woods once more, and our tribe could return to the harmonious life we had known for generations. As I returned to my people, I was hailed as a hero, but I knew that it was not just my own strength that had led to our victory, but the wisdom and power of those who had come before me. We had all played a part in restoring the balance of the forest, and we would continue to honor the sacred bond we shared with the land and the spirits that guided us. Once my mom and I were driving to Las Vegas from Santa Clarita. We were just passing Barstow and on the I-15. It was right about high noon and very hot. Not a cloud in the sky. She had a fancy Lexus at the time with a touchscreen console on the dash that could play DVDs while driving. I remember we were on a long stretch of road with a lot of space between cars on the highway. One minute we see nothing ahead of us, and then all of a sudden, a woman was walking across the highway right in front of our vehicle. My mom swerved behind her and barely missed her. She pulled off to the shoulder and we looked behind us, and we see her go all the way across the highway, including westbound traffic. Then she turned around and walked all the way across again. Each time, nearly getting clipped by an unsuspecting and oncoming car like ourselves. At one point, a semi-truck almost hit her head on missing her by literally one step. Each step she took was a steady and confident step, looking ahead of her and never batting an eye to any oncoming traffic. She was barefoot, mind you, and walking on the boiling asphalt with zero sense of urgency. So my mom calls 911, we're directed to highway patrol. They say they've received numerous reports and they're headed out to it. My mom decided after hanging up to slowly reverse down the shoulder to get a better look and see if she's okay. Yes, I know, stupid in more than one way. As we get to a spot behind her now, she's crossed the highway and is now in front of our vehicle. This part I will never forget. The woman slowly turns her head and looks at us and is now slowly but steadily walking towards our car. She was white as day in every way. White nightgown, pale, dry, wrinkled skin, white hair, and the palest bluish-gray eyes I've ever seen in barefoot. Almost looked like a walking dead version of Rose Dawson from Titanic. I was in the passenger seat, which was on the shoulder. When my mom made eye contact, she froze. Absolutely shut down. I remember the woman walking so close to my door, I could see her eyes make contact with mine. It looked as if she was blind and lifeless, but could not just see me, but see into and through me like into my soul. I went cold immediately. She reached for my door handle, 
and I remember screaming at my mom to punch the gas, and without hesitation, she came to quick and we peeled out of there. In the back window, I saw her watch us speed off and then continued across the road again. A mile down the highway, we called highway patrol to see what happened, and they didn't have a clue what we were talking about and said they got no reports of a woman crossing the highway. My mom to this day still doesn't remember the time between when we reversed to when we dipped out. I have no idea what happened that day except for what I witnessed and experienced. I was around 18 to 20 years old, sometime in 2008, when my life took a turn towards the extraordinary. I was sitting in the back seat of the family car, cruising down the highway with my parents up front. The day was calm and there was no wind to speak of, except for the air rushing past our car as we sped along at 60 miles per hour. As we drove between two large hills, each about 50 feet tall, I noticed something peculiar atop one of the hills. It appeared to be an all-black metallic structure, resembling a hot air balloon, but with some significant differences. There was no basket, and the material seemed to be made of metal, with a matte black finish that didn't reflect any sunlight. The strangest part was the way it moved. It zipped around like the UFOs you see in movies, going at least 100 miles per hour in different directions, turning upside down and sideways with incredible speed. My parents and I were not the only ones who noticed it. Several cars had pulled over to the side of the highway, with people standing outside, staring in awe at the mysterious object. My mom and dad were just as baffled as I was, admitting that they had never seen anything like it before. My dad tried to rationalize it, suggesting that it might be a fallen weather balloon, but after searching for images of weather balloons on Google, we concluded that it looked nothing like one. Someone else I told this story to suggested that it could have been a broken hot air balloon, but the rigid metallic structure clearly ruled out that possibility. The sighting left a lasting impression on me, and over the years, I've become more and more interested in uncovering the truth behind that mysterious object. I've attended UFO conferences, read countless books and articles, and even joined online forums dedicated to discussing sightings and encounters. Although I've heard many similar stories from people all over the world, I've never been able to find a definitive explanation for what I saw that day. The incident has left me with a sense of wonder and curiosity, pushing me to continue exploring the unknown and questioning the limits of human understanding. As the years have passed, I've come to accept that I may never know the true nature of that strange object on the hill. But the experience has shaped my life, opening my mind to the possibility that there are still mysteries out there waiting to be discovered.